you're visiting us with us today, we welcome you to the class. We hope you enjoy it. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're heading toward home in the sense that we're in chapter 17 right now of 24 chapters, and we're going to finish this chapter today. Uh, Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. There are There is a contingent of people who are following him. Some are for him, some are against him, some are just curious. They don't know exactly if he's the Messiah or not. Some believe that he is. Most hope that he is, because when the Messiah comes, they believe that the Messiah will overthrow the Roman government and set up God's kingdom on earth. And there's a tremendous amount of pilgrims traveling throughout the uh, whole region of Palestine, heading toward Jerusalem, to celebrate the Passover uh, feast. And that's where Jesus is going. And a lot of people are traveling along with him. Now last week we ended in verses 20 and 21. And you'll recall that in verse 20, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. And here's what they say. They, it says, uh, let me just start at verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come by observation. So they're asking him this question. When is the kingdom of God coming? Now, why are they asking him that question? Very interestingly, if you just turn over one page in your Bible to chapter 19. And look down at verse 11. We discover why this question is being asked. When is the kingdom of God going to arrive. Chapter 19 and verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another, another parable because he was near Jerusalem. Now watch this. And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So there is this anticipation in the air that the kingdom of God is going to come in an imminent fashion, and they want to know exactly when is it going to happen. Is it going to happen when we get to Jerusalem? Because the Pharisees, like many people of their day, thought that when Messiah came, that he would overthrow the Roman government, he would judge all the Gentiles and all the sinners and cast them out of his presence, and then he would set up the kingdom of God in the city of Jerusalem, and the Messiah would rule from Jerusalem. And so Jesus now answers the Pharisees, and he says, you've got it all wrong. He said in verse 20, the kingdom doesn't come with observation, and that's an astrological term. Uh, it's not, it doesn't come when you, like when you look up in the sky and you, through a, a telescope and you see a star, or you see the Milky Way, or you see this or that. Uh, you don't, the kingdom's not going to come through that kind of scientific observation. You're hunting for signs, the point of the, when the kingdom's coming. It's not coming that way. You're not going to be able to see it. And that's why he says in verse 21, nor will they say, see here or see there. The kingdom of God is not localized. It's not going to be here or there. And then he said this to them, for the kingdom of God is within you, or is upon you, or in your midst. Uh, where Jesus is is where the kingdom is being manifest. And that's how we ended it last week. Okay? So we won't go into that whole teaching again. But the bottom line is that the Pharisees are looking for the wrong thing, and they're looking for it in the wrong place. 
They're expecting God to overthrow wrong. That's the wrong thing. It's not going to happen. They're looking for it in the wrong place. They think it's going to happen in Jerusalem. And he's saying, it's, that's not how it's going to happen. You've got it all wrong. you got things mixed up. Okay? Now, what happens is, and by the way, I'm going to add that we think the same thing. We're asking those same questions. Well, what's the kingdom coming? What's it going to be like? Is Christ, when's he going to come? Is he coming soon? See, we don't condemn these people. We're just like them. Okay? And I think that most of us have it wrong, and we'll be surprised the way the kingdom of God comes. Okay? So now what we have is we have Jesus speaking to his disciples. So look at verse 22. Verse 22. Then he said to his disciples. So now we have a change of audience. Before he was speaking to the Pharisees. They wanted to know when the kingdom would come. He says, you got it all wrong. Now he speaks to the disciples. These are his followers. Okay. Some will follow him to the end. Some will deny him. Say, crucify him by the time that he's in Jerusalem. But disciples simply means people who are, at this point, following him and learning from him. He's a teacher and they're the students. Now look what he said to them in verse 22. The days will come... Notice that the days will come, projecting it into the future. That's a future thing, isn't it? The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Now, notice in verses 21, 20 and 21, the Pharisee said, when's it going to come? And he says, well, you got it all wrong. It's not going to happen in Jerusalem. Now he turns to his disciples and he says, and by the way, the days will come when you will desire. Desire what? Desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. The Jews believe that this phrase, Son of Man, comes out of Daniel chapter 7. And in that passage, Daniel sees a vision and he sees the Son of Man ascend into heaven and he receives a kingdom from God the Father and he brings this kingdom on the earth. So basically Jesus is saying, in the future you're going to desire to see the kingdom come to earth. But then look what he says at the end of verse 22. And you will not, what? Oh, wait a second. It's not going to come when I get to Jerusalem, Pharisees. And guess what, disciples? There's going to come a day when you're going to desire to see it too. And guess what? You won't see it. You won't see it. Now, guess what this tells us? This tells us that the kingdom of God is not going to come on earth. The judgment's not going to come. The kingdom of God is not going to come on earth in its fullness as long as these disciples are living. They're going to desire to see it, but guess what? They won't see it either. It's not going to come in their lifetime. Now that's very important because you'll remember when is Luke writing this gospel? 30, 40 years after Jesus has died? And I imagine people in his church, guess what they're desiring to see? Guess what they want to happen? They want to see the kingdom of God come, don't they? And guess what? Jesus said to his disciples, there's going to come a day when you want to see the kingdom of God come on earth. And guess what? You won't see it. And I imagine Luke is telling this story so that his people won't be disappointed either. 
Now, it's very interesting that I won't turn you there, but I'll tell you the story. The last chapter of John's Gospel, you know what Jesus says to Peter? Very last verses. He says, Peter, you're going to die. Somebody's going to stretch out your hands and you're going to die. You're going to be crucified. Now, guess what that says? Just by that, Jesus saying that to Peter. One day you're going to die. Guess what he's saying right there? The kingdom is not going to come before you die. <laughs> you're not going to see it. You're going to die before it comes. Now, we could have turned there and looked at that. Then Peter turned around and he said, what about this guy? What about the beloved disciple? Jesus said, if I want him to live forever, he'll live forever. Don't you worry about him. I'm talking about you. You just be ready. Be ready to die. So what we have here is that Jesus says that this final judgment and the setting up of the kingdom of God on earth in its fullness is not going to come in their lifetime. And guess what? They desire it. So guess what that means? You'll be disappointed. It's not going to happen in your lifetime. So because of that, you have to watch out. You have to be careful. Because look what he says in verse 23. And they will say to you, you have this desire, and as a result of that, guess what people are going to do? They're going to say to you, look here, there's the kingdom. Look there, there's the kingdom. Do not go after them. Or follow them. Because those people are going to lead you astray. Now we do know that somewhere around 60, 64, 65 AD, the Jews started rebelling against the Roman government. And guess what happened? False messiahs came on the scene. I could give you their names, but it wouldn't help you to know the false messiah's name. But they came on the scene, and guess what? Some Jewish people said, there's the Messiah, he's going to set up the kingdom, let's follow him. And someone said, no, there's the Messiah over there, let's follow him. Well, guess where they, those Messiahs led? Following them would lead to death. Because in 70 AD, you know what happened? The Roman government just marched right into Jerusalem and just destroyed the whole town, destroyed the temple. The Jews were scattered. And that's what would have happened if you would have followed the false messiah. So Jesus is saying, in your lifetime to these disciples, the kingdom is not going to come on earth in its fullness. So don't start following a bunch of people who say, the kingdom's going to come. Follow this man, he's the messiah. All that will do is lead to your destruction. Does that make sense to you? Now, how do we know that? How do we know we shouldn't go following this guy and that guy? Look at verse 24. Here's the reason. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part, or as it says in Matthew, as the lightning shines from the east to the west. So also, the Son of Man will be in his day. In other words, when lightning flashes across the sky, you see it in Plano, you see it in Garland, you see it in Mesquite, you see it in Cedar Hill, you see it, guess who sees it? Everybody sees it who's outside. Because it flashes across, the, and you know how many miles it can flash across the sky? Huh? You think it's like five miles? <laughs> when that flashes across the sky, I mean, it can go hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Everybody sees it. He says when Messiah comes, you won't have to have anybody say, look, there he is. Could that be him over there? You think that's the one that's going to set up the kingdom? 
He says when the Son of Man comes to set up the kingdom, it'll be like lightning flashing. And guess what? Everybody will know it when it happens. Everybody will know it. It'll be understood and seen universally. That makes sense, doesn't it? Now what he does is he's going to give us a chronology of what has to happen before Messiah comes and sets up the kingdom in its fullness. So look at verse 25. It starts with the word but. But he, who's he? The Son of Man. The Messiah. That's Jesus, by the way. But he must suffer many things. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected or repudiated by whom? This generation. So, before the Messiah can come and set up the kingdom... Something must happen first. Number one, he must suffer. He must die on a cross. And he must be rejected or repudiated, notice, by this generation. Luke uses that same phrase, this generation, earlier on in the book, and it means an evil generation, a rebellious generation. And so Jesus has to, be, has to die on the cross before he can set up the kingdom. So guess what? He's not going to set it up in Jerusalem. When he gets there, instead of him setting up the kingdom, they're going to kill him. Okay? I want you to notice in verse 25 the word must. Do you see that? But first, he must suffer. This speaks of necessity. And this shows that the cross is not God's plan B in the whole salvation process. There are a lot of people who say this. It's a very respectable schools, by the way, and seminaries. They say God's plan A was that he was to come, march into Jerusalem in a triumphal entry. And if the Jews accepted him, he would have set up the kingdom of God right then. That was God's plan A. But they rejected him and put him on the cross, and so God had to go into plan B. He would ascend into heaven, he would live there for thousands of years, and then later he would come back. God's plan B. Hey, not God's plan B. Notice what it says there in verse 25. But he must, he what? Must suffer. That has always been God's plan. It's God's only plan. God's plan was that the Messiah had to suffer first before he would set up his kingdom. So this is God's only plan and this is how it will be. And that's what happened. Jesus died on the cross. So what we see is we, we see the difference between someone's wishes and desires and reality. The disciples desired to see his coming. That's what they desired. That's their wish. Guess what? In reality, he's not going to come in their lifetime. He's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to ascend into heaven. And now he gives us a comparison. Look at verse 26. This is what we can expect before the Lord comes to set up his kingdom. Look at verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. So if you want to know what it's going to be like right before the Lord comes to judge the world and set up his kingdom... See, the kingdom always involves good news and bad news. Bad news for the rejectors of Christ, they'll be judged. Good news for the acceptors of Christ, they will inherit the kingdom. 
Okay? Now watch. What's it going to be like right before he comes? It's going to be like the days of Noah. See? Noah, the days of Noah is like a prototype of the second coming. Now, what were those days like? Look at verse 27. They ate. Now notice the pronoun. They drank. They married wives. And they were given in marriage. Just ordinary events. Just the kind of thing that happen every day. Just a normal day. Now look at this next phrase. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came, now notice the pronouns, and destroyed what? Them all. Now, a couple things you need to notice. First of all, life is going on as usual. They eat, they drink, that means they get up in the morning, they put their pants on, they get dressed, they eat breakfast, they go to weddings, they go out and buy wedding dresses, they do all these things. Life is going on. Notice, however, it's a self-centered life. They ate, they drank, they married, they gave a marriage. No mention of God. Do you notice that? There's no God consciousness among the masses of people. They're basically doing their own thing. They're self-consumed. Okay? Now, in those days, Noah was preaching a gospel message. He was saying, repent. God's going to judge the world. Remember when he said that? He's going to send a great flood and he's going to judge the world. And what did the people do? And they rejected it. They just went on with their life. They said, that guy's crazy. We don't pay any attention to him. So we're just, what are you going to do? We'll just go on with our life. Life goes on as it's always gone on. We don't have to worry about some judgment. Flood, what's all that about? So they reject that. And so life went on normally until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Everything was going normal until, and then quickly, suddenly, unexpectedly, judgment fell and destroyed them all. Was anybody saved? Well, no one in his family. <laughs> but guess what? Everybody else was destroyed, was judged. That's what it's going to be like when the Messiah comes to set up his kingdom. Things are going to be going normally. There will be preachers from pulpits preaching the real gospel. The average world is going to laugh and say, oh, that's not relevant to us. Until the day that the Lord comes. And when he comes, all will be destroyed. Who will be saved? Those who have heeded the message. Comparison number one. Look at comparison number two. Look at verse 28. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. So here's comparison number two. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Basically the same description, isn't it? Went on with ordinary things, only there's a commercial aspect that's added. In this case, it's the, he adds a few other things. They bought and they sold, they planted and they built. There was building projects going on as... Society is progressing, and they're trading, and they're buying, and all these kinds of things, just like we do, and stocks, and building, and all this kind of thing. And everything was going along well, see. Verse 29. Again, by the way, that's all self-centered stuff. You don't see God in any of this, do you? Look at this. Verse 20. But, 
On the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So everything was going on normally. The people were self-consumed. Hey, were they warned that judgment was coming? Remember the angels came and said, Get out of Sodom! God's going to destroy the city! And what do they think? Ah, that's a bunch of nonsense. See, they just disregarded it. They disregarded the warnings. And then, finally, the angels grab Lot and say, Get out of the town! And so, they get out, and at that point, notice that phrase at the end of verse 29, destroyed them all, because they disregarded the message. Now, how many were destroyed? All. Were any saved? Yes. Lot and his daughters. Was Abraham in there? I think Abraham may have been in there. And then that's it. Now look at verse 30. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, which would be, mean when he's revealed from heaven and the kingdom of God comes on earth and there is judgment. So, what does this passage say to us? It tells us, well, how then should we live? You know what, uh, how should we prepare for the kingdom? Well, I guess we need to do differently than the people in Lot's day and the people in Noah's day. We need to heed the warnings. We need to make sure we're not self-consumed and only involved in meeting our needs and us eating and this and that and buying and building and because the kingdom's going to come, and the Lord's going to come suddenly and unexpectedly, and we're going to be caught off guard. And when it happens, we all know it happens, because it'll be like the lightning shining from the east to the west. That's how, you know how fast lightning shines you? It's good. Bam! That's it. Now, is there a warning that there's going to be a lightning? Oh, yeah, there's some thunderings. But if you don't pay attention to those thunderings and get ready, and you start saying, thousand one, thousand two. <laughs> Sometimes there's very little warning, especially at night when you're in bed. And suddenly you hear this boom, and it's right next to your house. Too late. When lightning strikes, can anyone say, oh, here it comes, let me jump out of the way. Once, it's, once it starts, guess what? You don't have a chance to get out of the way. There's no escape. You're struck dead. You say so that's why you have to be prepared. You need to be listening for those warning signs. So he gives us instructions. Look what he says in verse 31. These are instructions for preparation. In that day, he who was on the housetop, and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. So, don't worry about things. This is the whole concept here. Uh, don't worry about things. He that's on the housetop, and his goods are in the house, when the Son of Man's coming back, don't say, oh, I forgot my... Because when your house is burning down, you don't want to run back into the burning house to try to save something. That's how many people are killed in house fires, isn't it? They go back, not to save another family member, but to save something that was, they thought was precious to them. 
Yeah, photo album, something like that. Let him not turn back. Look at verse 32. Remember Lot's wife? What did she do? She looked back. Why did she look back? You know why? Because she said, I really didn't like my house back there. <laughs> so I went, it's not a bad place. It's a good place to live. And the angels were saying, come on, let's go. And they pull Lot out and he escapes by the skin of his teeth and they said, don't look back, just get out. And his wife has this hankering, this desire, this yearning for what was her life before. And she looked back and scripture says she's turned into a pillar of salt. There's no time to look back. You need to be prepared for the Lord's return. And one of the things that this is saying to us is don't hold tight to those things you possess. Don't allow the things you possess to possess you. So that you think you can't do without them. That's why Christians need to handle possessions very carefully and very loosely. Because guess what? We can't take them with us. And when the kingdom comes, it's going to mean absolutely nothing. Because everything that's in this world is, is passing away and it's going to be burned up. Everything in the world is going to be burned up. Everything. Your car, doesn't matter if your house. Every, and he's going to give us a brand new creation. It's a lot better than anything we've ever had. So what we have now is only temporary for this world, and we need to use it for God's kingdom, and not use it for ourselves, and not get attached to it, because it's all going to burn up in the end anyway, if the kingdom should come in our lifetime, and if it doesn't come in our lifetime, we're going to be dead, and it's not going to mean anything to us. So we should look at the way we value our possessions. Now look at verse 33. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. And what he's saying here is not so much that uh, you're trying to save your life at the last minute. What he's trying to say is if you identify your life, if you define your life by the things that you possess, and you say, oh, I can't go without that. That's my prized possession. This is what my life consists of. Then you're going to lose your life just like Lot's wife did. So just don't worry about that. You don't define yourselves by what you own, what you possess, how educated you are, your status. All that means absolutely nothing in God's kingdom. Now, I've watched Daniel's uh, teaching of a couple weeks ago on the website, and that's basically what he was saying. That uh, God is forming a new humanity. And there's an old humanity that's passing away. We need to be part of the new humanity and start thinking in kingdom thoughts now, before the kingdom actually arrives. Does that make sense? Now he gives us a description. Look at verse 34. I tell you, in that night, meaning when the Lord returns. Now he's just using the word night here, not in the sense that he's going to return at night, because other places it says day. Okay? It just means when it happens. If it should happen at night, he says, I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The word men is not in the text. You'll notice that's in italics. Okay. Some people say, there's homosexuality right there. Two men and one uh, It doesn't mean that. Okay. It just means that if the Lord would happen to come at night and there are two people in a bed, one will be taken. Here's how it's going to happen. You want to know what's going to happen? This is it. By the way, what happened with Noah? What happened with Lot? 
his family. Watch. Two, if it happens at night and you're all asleep, there'll be two in the bed. One will be taken, the other one will be left. Look at verse 35. Two will be grinding together. Notice there it says women, but just two will be grinding together. That means working. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two will be in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. Now what's he describing here? He's describing a separation. He's describing a final division between the human race. When the Lord comes, it's going to be the ultimate final separation of the human race. Now remember, when Jesus was born, Simeon said, he will bring, this young man will grow up and he will divide families, you know. And this is the ultimate divide when he returns. And he will separate humanity into two parts. He will separate closest friends because two will be working in a field. He'll separate closest relatives, colleagues at work. Okay, One will be taken, the other will be left. Now, he's not describing the rapture. Let me just make this point. He's not saying that we're not talking about uh, Christians being taken to heaven. I'm not talking about that at all. Okay, And the lost people are left behind. That's not what he's talking about here. Okay? He's talking about the second coming of Christ when Christ comes to set up the kingdom on earth, which is preceded by a great judgment. He comes and he judges and he sets up the kingdom of God and he rules for a thousand years. When he comes, his eyes are going to be a flame of fire, a sword's going to come right out of his mouth, and he's going to divide humanity into two parts right here. One will be taken. The other will be left behind. Now, I'm convinced that the one who's taken is the lost person. Where it says the one will be taken and one will be left behind. In this scenario, the one taken is the lost person. They're taken in death. They're taken in judgment. It's like Lot's wife. She lost her life. Okay? She was un and like the unbelievers in Noah's day, they were swept away by the floods. They were taken. See? Who was left behind after the judgment was all over? Noah and his family. Okay? So I think you need to get that in your mind. Now, where are they taken? Well, where was the people taken when fire fell and <laughs> Sodom? Uh, well, they were burned to a crisp. The fire took their life. In Noah's day, what took their life? It was the flood that took their life. Well, when the Lord returns, there's going to be a judgment. And I believe that the lost people are the ones that are taken in death. Now look at verse 37. So they, asked, they answered and they said to him, watch this. Where, Lord? Where are they taken? You see that? Where are they taken? Where are these people taken? Now look, how, look what he said. So he said to them, wherever the body is, there... The eagles will be gathered together. Or wherever the body is, the vultures, better translation, will be gathered together. Now, I live out in Rockwall, and it's still a lot of country out there, and sometimes I'll see these vultures or these buzzards circling around, and guess what I know is below? A dead body. 
Where the body is, that's where the vultures are. So the ones that are taken are the ones who die. The ones who are taken are the ones who are judged. Does that make sense? Uh, it doesn't actually tell us the exact location where they're going to be taken. But what he's saying is, and that's why I don't think that being taken is being taken to a place. It simply is they're going to be taken to death. And wherever the dead bodies are, that's where the vultures will be. And they'll all be destroyed. How many will be destroyed when the Lord returns? Everyone who's not in Christ. Everyone who has not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's the purpose for this passage? We've read the passage. What is the purpose? Why is Luke telling us, including these stories in his gospel? Jesus did thousands of things. Luke chose to tell us about these particular things right here in this chapter. Okay? If we remember that Luke, just like us, lived and wrote after Jesus had died. Luke is writing after his death. We're living after his death. After his resurrection. After his ascension. And there are many of us, just like people in Luke's day, who desire to see the Lord's return. Who desire to see the kingdom. I think Luke is writing this to tell us, in the midst of this desire, watch out. Don't be deceived. There'll be a lot of people out here telling you when the Lord's going to return. Follow this person, follow that. Hey, have you read that book on the second come? Don't follow these crackpots. Don't allow your theology to be formed by these people who have all the answers. If you've gotten anything out of this class, you know that there's more questions than there are answers. And that's the way it's supposed to be. The Lord hasn't given you an exact timetable of how things are going to be. So watch out. Don't follow these false prophets and these false messiahs and these false teachers. When he comes, I think Luke wants us to say, when he comes, we'll all know it. <laughs> You'll know when he comes. So in light of that fact... And in light of the fact that when he does come, there's going to be a separation. There's going to be a separation from those who have not heeded the warning and those who have heeded the warning. So in light of the fact that he can come just like that, and in light of the fact that there's going to be a final separation, just like there was in Noah's day and Lot's day, we need to be prepared. And I think that's what he's trying to say. Don't hold on tight to your possessions. Don't allow your life to be consumed with things. Don't allow your identity to be formed by what you own. Don't define your life by your status. Define your life by your relationship, not to things, but your relationship to Christ the Messiah. And when you do that, whenever he returns, you'll be ready. Amen? Amen. Now let me just tell you about chapter 18. This is what we're going to pick up next week. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always pray and never lose heart. And he tells them what you're to do and how you're to live between now and the time that he comes. And then, look at verse 8 of chapter 18. He says, I tell you that when the Son of Man comes, he will avenge them speedily. These are the bad people. Nevertheless, 
He asked a question. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Will he really find faith on earth when he comes? Or will we all be caught up in these world affairs, self-consumed? You say, well, he asked the question, will there be anybody that has faith on earth when he comes? That's a good question. We think that there's going to be millions and millions and millions. That's why I like these books. Millions missing, you know. <laughs> when Jesus said, narrow is the gate, and few enter. In Noah's day, the scriptures Jesus said, only a few were saved. And how many were the few in the whole world's population? Eight. Now, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. And he said, let me ask you a question. When he comes, will you find real faith? <laughs> and each one of us have to answer the question and say, by God's grace, I'll be one of those people that have faith. And we need to be prepared. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look into a passage and it makes sense to us when we just look at it clearly. Uh, we try not to <clears throat> twist the text. We just read it straightforward. We understand what's happening in history. Uh, we understand how a, a writer inscribes the text and when he, when he writes the text and how it relates to us. Lord, this passage gives us hope. It tells us to be prepared. It tells us how to live. And Lord, help us by faith, by your grace, by your mercy, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that honors Jesus Christ so that we'll be prepared when he returns. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.